Welcome to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network, where listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. At Talent 409, we help athletes discover their talent altitude through workshops and seminars while increasing their opportunities for success on and off the field. In addition to athletes, we work with coaches, administrators, and business professionals to enhance their education on how they can positively impact the performance of their teams and programs. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent409, and connect with me on Twitter, at ColinTalent409. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and give it a five-star rating and review. Help us grow and keep the podcast content strong. These ratings really do help others find the show and consume the content, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this as well as being a loyal listener to the pod. We have a ratings and review highlight this week. This review and five-star rating comes from WEIN2424 on January 30th, 2019. The title is Talent 409, five stars, and the review says, awesome listening to you. Glad you're shedding some light on female athletes. Well, I appreciate you pointing that out. We've had some great female athletes on here in the past, Rachel Banselman, Shelly Johnson. We have some awesome females in the future that are coming on board. We'd like to mix things up here at Talent 409, and I'm glad people are noticing that. Today's guest on the pod is the incredible Ryan Hawk. Ryan is the creator and host of the Learning Leaders podcast, which is an awesome podcast, great for learners of leadership at any age or at any point in your career for any profession. He is also a former collegiate and professional athlete who has transitioned to find success in the business world, in the likes of sales, and now with his current leadership academy that he runs as well. This is an awesome conversation. I was super stoked to have Ryan on. It was almost like we knew each other because I've listened to so many episodes of his podcast, even though it was the first time we've talked directly like this. So I hope you enjoy the podcast as well. But first, let's sit back, relax, I know it's still a little bit cold for you guys, but down here in Charlotte this week, it was 75 and sunny, so let's get a little bit of that California love going and warm you right up. Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Thanks, uh, Colin. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Absolutely. I've been super stoked and excited, as I just told you, about this conversation. I don't want to waste any time talking about that. I want to get right into our conversation, and one of the things that I know Well, so I guess I'll start with if folks don't know, uh, listening to this podcast, but Ryan has his own podcast, the Learning Leaders Podcast, and I'm a listener. And one of the things, Ryan, that I noticed that you ask a lot of your guests is to give them the elevator pitch because you want to understand how they say it and get their advice on how to give it to other people and different things like that. So I'd love just to get started here, just to get a real brief intro elevator pitch into who are you? I don't think that can be brief, man. Uh, (laughs) I appreciate the question. Who am I? Well, I, I think I first and foremost identify as, as a, a husband uh, and a dad, uh, the most important roles that I play. Um, 
that's that's what I work hard at and work work most at being good at, namely because I was raised by an incredible mom and dad and had two great brothers. So that's the first thing that came to mind. In addition, some of the work that I do is I study and decode leadership and do that in the form of having curiosity conversations with some of the brightest leadership minds in the world on my show, uh, the, my podcast, The Learning Leader Show, and I've been doing it for uh, more than four years now, 300 plus episodes. And I love having conversations with people who have more wisdom than me, uh, that I can ask them and follow my own genuine intellectual curiosity to ask initial questions, but even better follow-up questions to go deep and to learn about their specific expertise um, and then see how it could be helpful for both for both me as well as the listeners uh, to the show. And I get great joy out of uh, the fact that it seems to have resonated over the years with people uh, so much so that uh, it could change lives. And that's um, that is really cool uh, when you set out to just follow your own curiosity and, and along the way build up a, a really great community of people who are learning along with you. Um, and then give you the opportunity to do it on a full-time basis, which which has happened to me. So it's um, that's uh, a little bit about me and a little bit about what I do. Awesome. So I'm going to try and do something a little bit different here. As I was going through your website, doing a little bit of prep work, I'm much like you in the fact that I don't like to have too many preordained questions. I kind of try to have a natural conversation. But I noticed on your website, it was really interesting how a lot of the values and the things that you seem to live by as an individual worked in place with the experiences that you've had throughout your life. So for example, when you were in high school, you were a quarterback at Centerville High School in Ohio. And you say that on the website, you say that you learned the value of preparation, practice, resiliency, and study. So preparation and resiliency are two of my favorite topics to discuss. I have a solo pod on the resiliency gene. Steve Nash, the former NBA player, talks about it. It's a really insightful conversation, I think. But I was really interested. I guess I want to start there and talk a little bit about what those values mean to you, the preparation, the practice, resiliency, study. How did you learn them? Why did they become values specifically when you were at that point of your life being a quarterback in high school? Those are years that I think you really are formed and shaped. And I am extremely lucky to have uh, been surrounded by both great teammates and incredible coaches, namely uh, my head coach, Bob Gregg, my offensive coordinator, Ron Ullery, still impact me to this day. And I first learned the importance of how to build my confidence when I was an eighth grader going into my freshman year working out with a varsity team. Our confidence was built through our work and through our preparation. Um, and so that's – obviously, as a quarterback, bad things will happen from time to time. You throw interceptions, you get sacked, you get fooled by a defense. It, it happens to the best of us. The, the real true great ones figure out how they choose to respond in those moments of adversity. And that is also built through your preparation. Um, and so I learned that, fortunately, at a young age, which helped me have some success on the field, which then led, led to you know, college scholarships and, and, and getting to play in college and a little bit after college. And I've just taken that those learnings, uh, work ethic being resilient when you face adversity, of being prepared for big moments. I've taken that from the field and then implemented it into my life in every other aspect, every other thing that I do. That's why I think it's so important 
it can be helpful for, for young people to play sports. For me, it's it was the difference, I think, between somebody who was probably not very confident, undersized, not sure of himself, to then, to then a few years later graduate as a supremely confident, sure of himself, probably borderline cocky 18-year-old kid as he, <laughs> as he goes to college. Um, and I, I had to be humbled a little bit in college, which I most certainly was. But that's, that's life, you know, that's what you go through. And, and, and I, uh, I feel without those experiences, I, I don't know what, I'm, I'm truly not certain what would have come from my life. I think it would be fine, but I don't think it would be nearly as good. Um, and so I'm so grateful for those people for instilling those values in me and being very demanding too. I think the, the great leaders, the great coaches I've had, have high levels of expectations for their people and they're able to push and lift them to levels that maybe they didn't think they could go to. And so I try to implement those things in in my life when I'm leading others as well. Were there specific aspects if we focus on that confidence piece that you talked about where you talked about not having a lot of confidence to by the time you graduate high school, having maybe too much confidence for, to get to that point, it's got to be an action thing, right? Like you can have great coaches who want to push you and put you in positions to succeed. But if you as an individual aren't doing the work or aren't putting the time in, then nothing's going to happen. And I'm just wondering where there's specific aspects of those experiences and that journey that helped you transform from someone who wasn't a confident person to someone who was ready to take on the world. That preparation, that practice, that work, our practices were harder than our games, almost every single, every single game. So I, I, the, the confidence was built through our practice. Then we had immense success on the field, led, led the state, the, you know, Ohio is a, a big time football, high school football um, state in, in the country alongside Texas and Pennsylvania and Florida. Maybe California, we're a big time uh, state for high school football. We were the we had the state's best offense for two years in a row. Had immense success, scored a ton of points, had great players, great coaches. That confidence was built through success over and over and over. Uh, and, and and success in football is measured. Uh, it's it's pretty black and white. Uh, even though the world as, as a whole is actually quite gray, but in football it's black and white. Did you win the game? Did you score enough points? As a quarterback, my job was to move the chains. And to get in the end zone, and, and if I did that, that means I did my job and helped helped our team do that. That confidence, borderline overconfidence, was built through doing that a lot. And so I think as I transitioned after football and got into the world of professional selling, it was very similar. We had a scoreboard, we had stack rankings, we knew where each other stood, and so that's why I think I, I was able to to do well in that in that line of work because it was kind of similar to me very clear uh, of winners and losers. And I don't, I don't actually think that's a perfect metaphor for life because I've found that the world doesn't need to be stack ranked. The world doesn't need to be that competitive in order for me to win. You don't have to lose. In fact, it's better if we both find a way to help each other win. But early in my life, I think it, it was helpful to go through some of the, that winning and losing and certainly going to college. I could get into that story if you want initially what, what happened there and how I, I failed that um, I think was helpful for, for me too. But those are some of the things that I learned and how I built confidence, I would say, was, was from a, having a, and creating a track record of being successful. Hit the nail on the head. I think as an athlete, you do learn so much about success and 
running through adversity and just what you learn, it really can't be replicated. I feel like in any other field, because it is, like you said, very black and white, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, baseball, any other sports, like you play to win the game. That's what Herm Edwards said. Right. So (laughs) it's, it's very easy to get caught up in that and not realize that there is so much more about it. And I think that it's really cool that you've been able to recognize all the other attributes and the values that you've been able to learn through athletics and that you don't need to, while being competitive and having that mindset has helped you be successful to a point. It ultimately got to a point where it maybe was being a hindrance of some sort and you needed to figure out a way to level it out and to use the other things that you learned to your advantage. So I think that's really unique and, and awesome. And I'd like to, transition now as you alluded to your college experience you move on after high school to Miami Ohio is your first stop and you're battling with the current Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger and ultimately you lose out on that job you say on the site that you learned a lesson that defines you to this day and I quote what you put sometimes you can do everything within your power, and it simply isn't enough. How you choose to handle that adversity is what matters most. So my natural thought progression to your statement takes me to how did you handle that adversity? Can you dive deeper into that? Can you get tactical for us with that? Well, you have a few options. You know, I we battled for two years and it's a pretty stressful time. Ultimately, it makes sense why he won the job and I didn't. But that didn't make it any easier at the time. I didn't know he was going to go on to become a a Hall of Fame, two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback in that moment. Um, I knew he was good, but I I didn't know know it would would get to that level. You know, I I was faced with a few options from my coach, uh, the late, uh, great Terry Hepner. Uh, The the two options at the time were move to receiver or just be content to be Ben's backup. And if Ben got hurt, then I would play. I thought both of those options were terrible. Um, I want, I feel like I'm a quarterback. I wanted to do that. And so I didn't want to change positions as well as I hated the thought of my destiny of my, my ability or my time to perform my craft that I loved so much and worked on my entire life. I hated the thought of that being left up to the health of another person, especially a person who had shown and still shows to this day to be pretty indestructible. It doesn't get hurt very much. Sure. So, uh, I didn't like either of those options. So my choice in that moment was, well, how will I respond? And with the help of my high school coach and my my dad and, and, and my brothers, uh, my mom, we, we, we talked through options and, and, and essentially reopened recruiting. And I transferred. And I, I went back to a school who, who had recruited me out of high school who still wanted me on scholarship. And that was Ohio University where – then I had to go and, and sit out a year where you get to basically do none of the fun stuff, but you have to do all of the hard stuff. You still work out. You still go to every practice and perform. You still have to go through everything, but you can't play on the, in the games. But I was okay with that uh, because I wanted to be the starting quarterback. And so I, I went through that process of trying to earn my new teammates' respect through my work, even though I couldn't perform on the field, at least not the game field, um, earn their respect and, and then hopefully earn and win the starting quarterback job. And, and, and uh, those things happened to be elected captain my senior year and uh, gave me opportunity to play more football after college. And, and that's what I wanted and get my degree. Um, and so those things were able to happen. It just certainly didn't go as I planned it as an 18 year old when I was in high school and verbally and 
committed to Miami and signed and went there for a few years. Uh, I wanted to stay there. I love Miami. I still love Miami. I still recommend that to, for, for as a place for people to go, but it wasn't necessarily in the cards um, for me uh, from a timing perspective when I was there and the exact same age as, as, as a guy who would go on to be the greatest athlete in the history of the school, uh, regardless of sport. So that's just sometimes the way it works. And I think when that happens, uh, then it's, are you going to sit in the corner and feel sorry for yourself or are you going to stand up and make a choice and, and do something about it? And, and fortunately with the help of other people around me who cared about me, I was able to make the decision to, to, to move and, 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 uh, take ownership of, of my life and my chances to be, to be a starting quarterback in division one football. And, and that's uh, ultimately what happened. Now I want to take you to, an alternate universe. Your goal when you got to college was ultimately the next step, the NFL, continue to play or at some level of the professional ranks. If you were in a world where a transfer option wasn't available to you, how do you think that would have played out differently than obviously how it played out in the real world? And the reason that I ask that is I have a somewhat similar story from high school where I had a kid who was a year younger than I was. His name's Matt Wessinger, played shortstop. He ended up playing in the Colorado Rockies organization. So obviously he was a great player. And at the time, you know, he's a year younger than me. He jumps over me into the varsity starting position. And it's one of those things where I didn't have that option to transfer, right? I'm in high school. I either had the option of being a good teammate and sitting on the bench, playing the few opportunities that I had, maybe to pinch run, pinch hit when he was pitching, play in the field a little bit, or I guess the alternative was I could have just quit. I couldn't have gone to a different school because I was you know, <laughs> at my high school and that's just how it is in high school. I took the high road and I was a good teammate and I actually produced quite a bit when I was called upon my high school baseball coach said he had never had a player who filled his role better than I did during that year. We won a a championship that year that I was a part of, and I was really happy that I took that approach. So back to you you and your experience, I'm just curious on your perspective, how that maybe would have changed your life and your approach had you been in college and you hadn't been able to transfer. What do you think you would have done? The unique thing about the quarterback is only one guy gets to play at a time, which is different than any other sport in the world. Basketball, two point guards can play at the same time. In, in baseball, if you're a good shortstop and somebody else is a good shortstop, then one guy can play. I mean, Alex Rodriguez moved to third base, so him sure. and Jeter could play at the same time. Football does, doesn't work that way. Uh, however, uh, if, if transferring was not an option to answer the, the question, um, I would have moved positions. I wanted to play. Uh, I like playing. Uh, I want to be on the field. I wanted to help my team. The best possible way for me to help my team would have been to be on the field. So uh, that was an option uh, the coach the coaches offered to me. Um, I, I, I probably would have taken that had I, but the thought for me just to, to be a backup, it was not an option. That was not something I was going to do 
for me, it was the, the best chance for, for, for our team to be successful, in my opinion, was to be on the field. And when I wasn't, and, and obviously, it, but it wouldn't have been as a quarterback because Ben simply was a better player than me. And that was a, that was a fact. It wasn't really uh, an opinion. And so I would have thought I would have worked to, to be a good receiver. They played me some at that in my sophomore year be, because of when he was playing well. But I had not worked enough at it to, to be great at it. But I would say, to answer your question, that's probably what I would have done. Do you think it's more difficult than ever to make decisions like that in today's world, especially at the collegiate level? Like how, how do kids go about that and know that they're making the right decision, whether that's staying at the school they first committed to or moving on without knowing what the future holds, right? Like we don't know if we're going to get to play at the next level. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't even know if we're going to get to play if we do transfer, you know, what that playing time is going to look like. So I guess I'm just curious as to, you know, if you were talking to current college athlete and they were exploring their options and thinking about transferring, how you just might go about giving them some guidance or some advice, having been someone who went through it yourself. Yeah, I would first ask their goals and most quarterbacks goals are to play. And if playing is not an option, this just happened with the quarterbacks at Ohio State. You know, one transferred from Georgia, another one leaves and goes to Miami. I get it. I think players should have the freedom to do what they want. Coaches certainly have the freedom to do whatever they want. And players, they're unpaid. They get their expenses taken care of, which is a which is their tuition and room and board, but they don't get any money in addition to that. So that's obviously wrong. Um, and they cert- certainly should have the ability to, to leave and play, just like a coach can leave and go wherever they want, or any student can leave and go wherever they want. So I would advise a kid to say, well, first, what are your goals? Any, and I don't want to speak in absolutes, but most quarterbacks want to play. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would if if there is a there's a quarterback on the roster who doesn't want to play, the, the chance of that person being successful is very low. Sure. So if you want to play quarterback and you get in a situation like I was in, where the person who's your exact same age has definitely beat you out for that job, and the only chance for you to ever play is if that person gets hurt, I don't see any point in staying there. If that's your top priority, now maybe your top priority is to get a get, to get a degree from the school where you're at. Or your priority is you want to live in that location afterwards, and so it would make sense to stay at that university even as a backup. If those are your goals, then then we'll think about that. But if your goal as is, is what my goal was, which was to be a Division One starting quarterback, then 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 there's really no option but to find the best possible opportunity for you to make that happen. Certainly no guarantees. There was definitely no guarantees for me. The coaches didn't tell me I was the, I would, I was guaranteed to be the starter. I had to beat out multiple guys to earn that job both years. And so uh, I would just say, you know, analyze that and make, make a decision that's best for you based on your priorities and your goals. Awesome. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Before we move past your college career, obviously you've mentioned now a couple times the transfer to Ohio University. You mentioned in our, on the website that you went through some losing seasons, but you learned the responsibility of leadership. And leadership is at the core now of your life and what you teach and your podcast and I'm sure so many other things that are part of your life as well. But what was that responsibility? Like what when you say that you learned the responsibility of leadership, what does that mean? when things go bad and you're in a leadership role, the people that you lead look to you 
They want to see how you respond at all times, but certainly when adversity strikes. And so, again, it comes down to the choice of, of you have a choice of how to respond in those tough moments when you lose a game. If you get down, quiet, reserved, and uh, again, feel sorry for yourself because you're hurting or you lost, uh, your team will follow, especially in a, a playing quarterback. Or um, I think those are opportune times for you to show your true leadership skills. Your character is revealed when things are going bad to say it's time for us to get back to work, to prepare for the next one, to get ready to go, uh, to turn it around. Those are our leadership. Uh, those are great moments of leadership that you can exhibit and help your team through both playing sports as well as in uh, the business world, which, which I've gone through adversity in, in both of those places. Um, so I think I, I learned a lot about that and it, but I, I, I certainly, you're, the, the tough part out college, at least for me, is they're still young and immature, and it, it just took a while to really learn that. So I've had to I'd look back on that and realize some mistakes that I made and learn from them now because I certainly didn't do it perfect in the moment. Those are some of what I would say I took from, from playing quarterback, especially in a situation where we lost some games and we had to figure out, all right, how do we, how do we fix this? And uh, that's tough. That's tough to deal with. But it certainly helps prepare you for life after football's over. Yeah, and I love how you tried to make the best of a situation that honestly just wasn't ideal. I mean, nobody wants to lose. Nobody wants to have to go through adversity. But whether it's in sports or whether it's in life, it happens and to be able to overcome it and see the different perspectives and work through it the way that you did then and the way that you do now and the way that you teach people to do. I think that's really great. And I'm glad that you've been able to identify that and been able to be a person who can be an influencer to so many people as well, because we all struggle with that. Quick break to talk about our sponsor, Sweat With Studs. Are you looking to get in better shape without the large investments of time and money that come with a gym membership? Sweat with Stod's Hit at Home program is the answer for you. Hit at Home is a downloadable PDF that guides you through one month of five workouts per week that don't require any equipment. And if you loved Hit at Home, there's also a version two with totally new workouts. As a loyal listener to the pod, you can get $10 off each of these programs with the code DYNAMIC, which brings the cost down to $20 per program. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com, put in that DYNAMIC code at checkout, and figure out what you can do with $20 in 30 days. And now back to the pod. When... You got finished up in college, then you moved on, you played some arena football. Tell us what that transitional experience was like after college. Did you know you were going to play arena football? Was it fun? Was it what you expected? Just give us a little insight into that. Uh, I had had an idea. I'd have opportunities to keep playing workouts with NFL teams. I did not catch on there. Went up to Canada briefly, too, in the CFL, but... uh, uh, got an opportunity to compete for the starting quarterback job uh, with the, the arena team in Birmingham. So I moved down to Birmingham, Alabama, and it was a 
it's just a fantastic life experience for me. I'd lived in Ohio uh, my whole life. Mm -hmm. So I moved down there. Uh, I was the most Northern guy on the team. Most of the team was, <laughs> was pooled and chosen from guys who are from the South, deep South, completely different environment from what I grew up in and lived in. People called me a Yankee, which is, I never even really heard those terms <laughs> used before. And I'm from Ohio. I'm not from New York. Sure. Um, so, but I guess that still qualified but i got to um have to re-earn respect again which it's it's great you know i did it at miami once and then at ou and now doing it again in birmingham and that that's great practice for when you're going you go in as the new person for wherever it is you have to work especially when some of them view it view you as an outsider um which i was initially but again you have to learn how to earn respect through your work to ultimately be win that starting quarterback job from somebody who was in the South and friends with most of the guys on the team, but win the job through your performance and through your work and, and through and certainly the success you have during the games and, and, and be captain of, of a team like that. I'm very proud of that. Um, it was way outside of my comfort zone. It did it at the stage when I still was pretty immature. I grew up a lot over the course of, of playing down there and living down there by myself and really tried to study the game to understand the differences and the intricacies of the arena game and how um, there are some advantages for the quarterback and, and try to take advantage of those. And, uh, you know, you know went, went pretty well or relatively well, uh, but, but just another great life experience, a life repetition for me that I, I pull from and I draw from when it comes to thinking about going into a new environment, earning respect figuring out the differences in this in this uh, arena, uh, especially when compared to where I come from, playing on a, a regulation-sized football field outside. So there's just a lot of learning to take from that, and, and I'm, I'm really happy that I was afforded the opportunity to do it, and I took it, and, and went and did it. I love that you have such a practical approach to new opportunities. When you come in, it doesn't seem like you're even, – even if you're the top dog, right? It doesn't seem like you come in and just assume – all the responsibility or assume that you're going to lead a team to success. You come in with this approach that, you know, Hey, I want to get to know my teammates. I want to, you know, have conversations with coaches and with personnel and different things like that and kind of integrate yourself before you get too far into things. And I think for a lot of us, it's hard to do that when we're coming into a new place, we feel like, a you know, we're on the outside. And as you mentioned, even being a quote unquote Yankee, which is crazy to me too, to think for Ohio, I come from New York and uh, I've never heard anybody say that to me, but it's just a really interesting perspective. And I'm wondering, was there a point, because you mentioned that you kind of took the same approach in college and both of your stops. And then when you got to the arena football level as well, but was there a time in your life where you said like, hey, I just can't walk into a place and assume that I know everything and that I'm going to be able to do everything alone. Like I have to get to know my teammates. I have to get to know my team, my coaches and everyone. Where did that switch turn on in your lifetime? Well, let me try to understand the question as far as getting to know my teammates and, and build relationships. I mean, that's. That's the I think what I what I would talk about when I'd say how you'd earn respect. I mean, one of the one of the one of the first things I did when I decided to go to Miami. This was before the days when kids would enroll early in college. Um, I moved to Oxford, Ohio, where Miami is, the day after high school graduation. Only freshman to move on campus uh, in order to work out with with the team. 
that was my, I had two goals, earn respect through my work and learn everybody's name so I could look them in the eye and call them by their first name, which people enjoy and appreciate. Seems small, but there's a hundred guys on the team and that's the, those two goals were accomplished. And so I developed real rapport and relationships with my coaches and my teammates before any other freshman had stepped foot on the campus. So that same approach needed to be taken everywhere I want, learn everybody's name, look them in the eye, build real relationships, listen to them, care about them. Same stuff that you would take leading in the business world that you're, you're, you're not going to be able to lead anybody if you don't truly care about them. You don't listen to them. You don't have real relationships with them. You don't have real conversations with them to get to know them as people, to get to know their families, to get to know the people that love them. I mean, all of those are what it takes, I think, to, to, to have an understanding of your teammates, of the people that you lead, and to show that you truly care. Um, I have exercises I do in the business world and, and kind of did these intuitively in college and afterwards and to, to learn about the, the people who love my teammates. So who are their mom and dads? What are their names? As I got older, who is your, your spouse? What are the names of, of, of your kids? Right. I, I want to know all these things because those are the people uh, that are most important to them. And so if I understand their relationship with them, my relationship with them gets even deeper and better. And that's how we can truly, I think, get, do something special together as a team when they know that their leader actually cares about them, truly cares about, them, doesn't view them as a number or doesn't view them as somebody who needs to produce a certain amount of revenue for the team, but cares about them as a person and wants to help them grow and get better and improve. And, and I, I work pretty hard to, to emulate that and, and to try to do that in my work wherever uh, it, it may be, whether it's on the field or, or off the field or, or in the business world, I, I try to do the same. And was that a, an approach that you learned from somebody? Like, did your parents teach you that that's how you should approach a situation? Did a coach teach you that? Where where did that come from? Well, as, as I mentioned, world-class parents won the lottery. I mean, when, when people <laughs> ask about luck or, or work, um, a high, high percentage of any type of success I've had is, is luck. And that's because of my parents. And, and so they, they, they taught us those things. They modeled the proper behavior, very high integrity people, a great relationship. So it's, I don't think it's a surprise that both of my brothers and me are in very happy marriages because my parents modeled that. They showed us how to, how to treat each other with respect and love. And my, my dad, you know, led thousand person sales forces for 30 plus years and was beloved and still is beloved by those people who, who he's led many years ago in some cases. That's because he cares about people and he showed that through his actions, through his work. Doesn't mean he didn't hold him accountable, doesn't mean he didn't fire people, doesn't mean he wasn't hard on people. He did all those things too, but he but he showed that he cared about him. So I had a built-in model of how to do things that I realize most people don't have. And for me, that is chalked up a thousand percent to luck because I didn't do anything to deserve that. I didn't map that out or work hard for it. It's just the way it is. And some people uh, in that regard get luckier than others. And that's that's uh, that definitely the case for me. Sure. And I can tell that the family aspect of your life is very genuine just from this conversation and from different things I've heard on your podcast, different things that I've seen online. You know, you talk about your wife, Miranda. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to get into, so all of us, well, not all of us, but a lot of us have sibling rivalries and, you know, brothers and sisters, your brother, AJ, 
was a standout linebacker at Ohio State and then later played with the Green Bay Packers, won a Super Bowl. Was there ever a time where you thought, man, you know, how is AJ catching all these breaks? As far as the athletic success and that standout goes, I mean, you mentioned obviously being very lucky and born into a great family with a great foundation, but was there ever a moment where those thoughts started to creep in, just seeing the success that AJ had on the field? As far as just his success in sports, like, did that ever make you think like, man, why is this happening to him and not me? You know, was there any of that sibling rivalry that maybe put a a divide between you two or anything? Um, I know it might be better if, if I say yes, but I mean, truly, I'm not surprised. I have had a front row seat to see how hard he works and continues to work to this day and everything that he does. He's truly, truly earned all of it, uh, every bit of it. And whenever the opportunity um, has arisen for him, he has made the most of every single one of them. Um, when a guy got banged up, as a, when he was a freshman in high school, he comes in and, and becomes our leading tackler, made the most of opportunity. They, they, they moved him back to kick returner in one of our games um, because a guy was banged up and he returned to kick for a touchdown. I mean, when he's gotten opportunities, he has made the most of them. At, at Ohio State, the guy in front of him got hurt briefly. He got in the game. And, and made the most, got an interception against Penn State as a freshman. He returned one against Penn State for a touchdown as a freshman and earned that starting job as a sophomore to become an All-American and be the number five overall pick of the Packers. And when he got in the games there, he did the exact same thing. And he's, 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 he's so highly respected by his peers because of his work, because of how hard that he cares uh, or how, how hard he works and how much he cares about other people and how much he cares about his craft being excellent at what he does. And it's so cool for me to see him do the same thing off the field as a, as a husband and a, and a dad of, of such, such a loving, loving person. Certainly, you know, other, other than my wife, you know, he's my, he's my best friend. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm just so proud of what he's done. And I, I don't know, I, I, I guess it's a better story if there is a rivalry and, <laughs> and just, there's just not, I mean, we, we've just, I think he's also uh, my biggest fan in the stuff that's happened. And he's like genuine happy for the stuff that's gone well for me, just as I am for him. And that's a, that's a gratifying and it's a fun, fun person to have in your corner to where you can text and talk with on a daily basis to say, what do you think about this? Or how should we go about doing this to be truly rooting for each other? And I think that's been a, been a um a key key reason for any success i've had is having having a person like him and, and now certainly add in the addition of my wife miranda to go along with the rest of my family that's huge man you need those cheerleaders you need those people in your life that are truly truly rooting for you to be successful and doing anything they can in their power to help make that happen and so for me i, I think we've, we've just always been that way it doesn't mean we didn't compete i mean we competed we're two years apart so we played all sports together growing up sure. everything ping pong tennis football basketball baseball everything and, and we competed hard and i think that helped us uh, a, a lot but uh, it was healthy competition it wasn't um, we didn't, we didn't like punch each other or fight like <laughs> stupid fights. You know, we wrestled and did stuff like that, but nothing, nothing malicious. And that's just never happened. It's, it's always been, I think, out of love and care and, and just sheer happiness when the other one has had some success. And, and I know in AJ's case, he's, he's earned every bit of it based on, uh, on how hard he works. Yeah. I think your version of the story is awesome. I'm glad to hear that. You two are still so close to this day and able to feed off each other, be each other's 
your biggest fans and best friends and everything. I think that's a great way to approach it all and not let, not let anything get in the way. Part of it it is a big credit to him, you know, because he's had a lot of success. He's made a ton of money and, and he's remained the same person. And so I think where some of those things can go bad is when the person achieves levels of fame and fortune and they change. And, and to his credit, that's just never happened. Not even for a day. I mean, it just never has happened. And I think, he, he deserves a lot of credit for that because I don't know if I would have handled it as well. <laughs> um, it may not, honestly. And, and so um, if if he would have kind of lost it or or gotten too big of a head or any of that type of stuff, it could have impacted the, the relationship with our whole family. And it just never happened. It, it hasn't because it's just not how he is. He stayed mm-hmm. grounded through it all. And, and part of it, too, is probably because he has a fantastic wife, Laura, who's who was there for him and such a great supporter and, and super smart in her own right, what she does in her career. So I think, I think a combination of all those things is, is, has made it um, what it is. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, I'm sure that foundation that you all grew up with, it's, that's why they call it a foundation because even when, you know, things like you said, could have gotten out of hand and he could have taken that fame a whole different direction. It just all came back to how you were, raised as kids and how you went about life and how you grew up and everything. So that's awesome. And shout out to AJ and shout out to you because I'm sure he learned just as much uh, from you as well. Now you get to a point where you finish up with football and you go into the business world and you take on an entry level sales job. And again, this is where I think like a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their heads around the lives of an athlete. Whether you were super famous and successful like your brother AJ, or you had a very relative amount of success like yourself, eventually you finish up. And if you didn't make enough money where you can just sit on that the rest of your life, or even if you did and you want to do something, you have to find what that direction is. And for you, it was an entry-level sales job. And a lot of people are like, what? Like entry-level? Like, why didn't you, you know, try to find something else? So I, I'm wondering. Was there any pushback on you know, the people you were interviewing with to say like, hey, you might be overqualified or hey, you might not even have any of the skills that we're looking for because nothing that you did translates? Like, What was that moment like when you were trying to get that entry level job? Well, I didn't have any of the skills. So in a way, <laughs> I was lucky to get the job that I got, truly. Uh, I was... I think hired as a, some would say it as a, as a, uh, have a higher potential, but have no experience for the role that I was hired for. I was lucky to get what I had gotten. So that's pro- kind of why I took the same approach to that first entry level sales job as a telephonic sales rep at LexisNexis. That, it, that was a hu- huge for me to then learn from, from the greats who had come before me and, and lucky to have a, an incredible uh, vice president of sales named Rex Caswell, who kind of took me under his wing, took care of me. Um, and it's put me in positions to where I, I could learn and grow. And I wanted to prove him right uh, by making an opportunistic hire with someone who had no sales background at all, but was an athlete that to say like it, he is correct in hiring somebody who is dis- a disciplined worker who will learn the craft of being a professional salesperson. And so I, I, I worked really hard to learn who, who, what the greats were doing was able to latch on to a fantastic mentor and even convince him to take me uh, to go into the office with me every Saturday morning for a solid year where we'd write scripts. We would practice. I would say what I was going to say. We'd build email 
proposal type notes. I mean, all the things that uh, needed to be done. It was just just like when I was playing football. I mean, I didn't have to go in early to watch film to work out extra. Mm-hmm. Did the same things. It just wasn't as physical. It was more mental. And I wanted to. I was very motivated to prove the people who believed in me right. Very motivated, and so uh, uh, I was determined to make sure that they would look smart for their hiring decision. And so I, um, I, I, I was. It was. It's a very gratifying feeling when things went well. Um, it's funny that I mentioned Rex, and, and he hired me. He took a shot on me when when I was just a former athlete and not not a sales professional, and, and hired me. And I had dinner with him last night. Again, I looked him dead in the eye and thanked him once again for giving me that opportunity. <laughs> and it's been that was two thousand six 2005 i mean it's been some some time has passed since then that set me up for for the rest of my career uh, by by getting to learn and grow into a, into a job like that and, and and i was fortunate to be able to have some success and it led to progression and promotions um that that set me on the course that i'm currently on one more quick break i want to talk about my second sponsor taylor digital Taylor Digital is a virtual design company that helps solopreneurs get established online with a cohesive image so they can feel more confident in their business. Taylor Digital offers branding, social media design, and Squarespace website design. My website, www.talent409.com, that was done by Taylor Digital. She's awesome. It's not going to look girly if you're a guy, don't worry about that. But if you are a girl and you want it to look girly, she can do that for you too. Go to tailoreddigital.com to set up your free consultation today. And that's Taylor, T-A-Y-L-A-R. I didn't name her, her parents did. And now back to the pod. Now you mentioned earlier that your dad obviously had a super successful sales career and led big teams and things like that. Did that play into your decision to go into that industry or was it just something that felt right because you said, you know, Hey, sales is competitive. Sports is competitive. How did you make that decision specifically to get into that industry? It's probably both. He has, you know, has written books about it uh, has a knack for it, um, has built himself up, um, into that. We both actually though studied communication, um, in college. He wanted oh, wow. to be, uh, he wanted to be a radio TV guy, um, and start as a radio TV major. I, I majored in organizational communication in college. Uh, and, and certainly being a good communicator is, is helpful in a number of professions. Uh, but, but certainly in, in, in the, the world of professional selling, it, it was helpful. And technically we're all in sales, right? You had to sell me on why I should come on your podcast. That's, sure. You know, you, you you got the sale, right? So I think we all have a bit of that in our jobs with what we do. Uh, quite frankly, my, my sole focus when I was in college was not really on academics. It was it was on the field. Um, and uh, any free time I had, I was I was trying to perfect that craft, watching film, working out, then spending time with my teammates. So I didn't really think a lot about life after uh, football was over. I just thought football would keep going even after college. So that's partially my immaturity and not being as prepared, especially as some of the college students I speak with now. I'm amazed at how prepared Mm -hmm. they are for life after their sport. And I give them huge credit for doing that. And, uh, And perhaps I should have thought about that more, but at the time I didn't. So when I when I did have the opportunity to interview for a sales job, it made sense that my dad had done that, um, that I could I could certainly talk to him and, and, and lean on him a bit, which I did then and I, I actually still do to this day, very much so, in fact. 
And you mentioned, obviously, you find a good amount of sales success throughout your career. You win some awards, you get promotions all the way to a VP level. But it seems like at some point there was some restlessness maybe in your professional life and even personally speaking as well. Can you tell us about the genesis of the Learning Leader Show and I guess ultimately tie that into your move to uh, Brixie and Meyer? Yeah. So, I mean, I was, uh, I, after undergraduate degree, I went back and got my MBA. The company was willing to pay like a lot of company, bigger companies, they pay uh, 5250 or 5,250 bucks a year for, to further education. It's free money. And in my opinion, it was stupid not to use that money. So I went back and got my MBA. After I did that, I looked to go back again and get another graduate degree or even a PhD. And, and I was on the path to being, uh, at the time I was uh, a, a manager and then had just been promoted to a director role. So I was, I had been promoted a few times to leadership positions. And so I wanted to study leadership even more, but I didn't love every aspect of earning my MBA. I liked some of the classes, but I also disliked some of the classes. I looked into uh, PhD programs and didn't love the full curriculum. Um, and so I thought, is there a way that I could create my own form of a leadership PhD program? Namely, I wanted to choose my professors and the topics that I was studying. <laughs> and the best way I thought that I learned to do that, as I was a big podcast listener then, was what if I chose um, what, what if I chose to do this in the form of a podcast where then people could actually hear me learning in real time? I thought that added good pressure for me to keep doing it. And maybe if it went well, then other people would learn along with me. Now, that was a bonus if that was to happen because I didn't plan I didn't plan on it going the way it's gone. Uh, I was hopeful, but I didn't I wasn't I certainly wasn't planning on it. Um, and so that's why I started it. I wanted to create my own PhD program. I wanted to choose my own professors. I wanted to choose my own subjects to study. And I wanted other people to to be able to hear me doing it in real time. You've listened to some of those early episodes; they're 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 painful. I mean, it <laughs> takes a while to get to get to get even decent at this. And so that's how it got started. And, and unfortunately, it, it did seem to resonate with people uh, when it when I started a little bit more than four years ago, and they liked it. And and then people started asking me to come to their businesses or places of work to help with their leadership teams, to give keynote speeches, to work with them. And uh, so in a way, I listened to what the market was telling me. And so for about three years, I, I did some of that on the side as I was continuing to progress in the business world. And so I would take vacation days and, and do and give a keynote speech to, in some cases, huge crowds, which was a, kind of amazing. Work with people in one-on-one -on -one capacities, uh, uh, talk with people in other leadership positions at other places and try to help them. And I was, I was in a way, and obviously recording uh, podcasts all at the same time, uh, to the point where it finally got to be where I, I probably needed to make a choice, either scale back what I was doing on the side and just record and do nothing else, maybe a speech every once in a while, or I uh, was afforded the opportunity um, when I uh, w went out to lunch with my good friend and mentor, Doug Meyer, the, the, the managing director and leader of Brixie and Meyer, a firm here in Dayton, uh, where he said, I, I love what you're doing. Uh, in fact, so much that I'd like to create the leadership advisory practice line at Brixie and Meyer. And I want you to be the guy to create it and to run it and to build it. And you can do it within, within our firm. Um, and you'll have 
pretty much complete autonomy and freedom to do as you wish. I trust you. I believe in you. I like the work that you do. And I think if you had the, the, the uh, ability to do it full time, I can't even imagine what would happen. But I want to be a part of it. That was really inspiring. That was really cool from a visionary guy like Doug, who's since then become even a, a closer friend of mine and mentor and business partner. And, and so that's what I did. I left my corporate role um, in November of 2017, uh, you know, gave the, the salary and all the good variable compensation back and, and decided to, to, to go do this and work with Doug and, and, and get to run, run the show here. And so uh, that, that's what I've been doing since November 2017. And I'm very, uh, I realized fortunate to have that opportunity and I love it, man. I get to do it every day. I have conversations like this, help other people, give speeches, run leadership circles, which are some of the coolest things that I do. And Get, get the combination of, of learn while I have these types of conversations as well as teach. Uh, and I think that's a great cycle when you're regularly going back, back and forth from learning and teaching, learning and teaching, learning and teaching. I, I, I find that that can kind of put your growth into warp speed. And that seems uh, to be, to be happening as, as we speak. And I, I love that. Yeah. And I can't honestly think of a better person to have these opportunities and to do the things that you're doing. I mean, they listening to the learning leader show has been so influential for me and you've just been so great and gracious with your time, not only personally with me, but with the group and with everybody that you interact with. And I'm so happy that everything has worked out for you. And I I think one of the most important reasons that I wanted to get you on the show was because of the fact that this progression into where you are today, it took some time, right? It didn't happen after one year, after two years, I mean, you finished up in, what'd you say, 2005-ish, 2006, and fast forward 10 years later, 11 years later, and that's when you finally launch off and you're doing your own thing. But there was that 10-year gap in between where you're learning, you're working, you're sacrificing, you know, it's like giving up vacation days to go you know, do your passion project on the side. Spending them that way, yeah. It, it, it worked out financially. Uh, <laughs> that was when it was at its, at its peak. But uh, no, I, I agree. I, I appreciate you, you saying that. But I, 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 the reason I cut you off is just purely because there are a lot of questions for people to do this now. I didn't have this vision when I started to have it become my full-time work. Uh, I never expected that to happen. I want to just follow my curiosity. And I think that's really the key learning here is for those who follow – they're, what they're deeply curious about. You never really know what could happen, but you just want to keep digging and keep going and you keep going and keep going. And as we were talking about, I think before you hit record, I mean, I'm, I'm still in the regular stage of sending cold emails to people that I want to have on my show and, you know, get ignored or get denied. Um, it, it's not, not as frequent now as it used to be, but it still happens. And really it's just not getting discouraged. Just keep mm-hmm. going, keep going, keep going. I think that's, that's, I think, the key for this to make it work is that most people quit, knowing that uh, that if you're going to do something hard, most people will quit. And the, and the difference will be just keeping at it, focusing on getting better and better and better and realizing, like, I'm just never I, I don't I don't have any intention to ever quit no matter what. Um, and that's that's been, I think, the key to now making it my full time work is that um, I've, I've kind of proven and shown that to the people who support me. And that that's that's going to be my mode of operation, and also I love it, and and so I think to give yourself the best chance to be 
successful in what you do. I, I, I do think if you want to be truly great or excellent at the work, I think you have to love it. Mm-hmm. I can be very good at a job without loving it, but I don't know if I could be truly excellent at it. So I like to, I like to live a life of that, and, and so in order to do that, I probably have to be doing work that I love. And, and so I, I that's that's kind of the spot we're in here. But you're you're absolutely correct. Didn't have this intention initially, and it took years and years and years for it to uh, get to the point. And, and it's still a work in progress. Obviously, it's yep. not it's not like it's we're we're done. It's it's a it's a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a uh, Hollywood ending where you just roll credits and assume the best. You got to keep working at it. So, so do you have a favorite podcast guest that you've brought on? Like, I, I know it's probably hard to narrow it down to one, but is there anybody that stands out? Oh, uh, recently I flew to Los Angeles and sat down in the office of George Raveling. Yeah, coach, coach Raveling, um, first African American uh, coach in the Pac Eight. Uh, it's now the Pac Twelve, Pac Eight. Uh, standing directly to the left of Dr. Martin Luther King during the I Have a Dream speech and, and in fact, asked him for that the paper that the speech was written on, uh, although it wasn't titled that, but asked him for that speech, and Dr. King handed it to him, uh, which George uh, still currently uh, possesses. Uh, a good reminder to uh, to ask for things that you want. Uh, George just so inspired me. He's 81 years old, sit in his office, you're surrounded by books and the way that he writes up and, and puts his notes in books. He is such a voracious reader and an aggressive learner. And where some people would say he's, he's earned the right to relax on a beach and not do very much at, at, the, at the, the ripe old age of 81, he's doing the opposite. He's <laughs> actively seeking out knowledge to better himself to improve. He surrounds himself, as he told me, with four or five dudes who are young because they help him and identifying those people. And I just, I'm inspired by a person like him. And it was truly a a special moment for me to hang out for a few hours in his office and record that, record that conversation to see what a genuine, humble, smart, curious person that he is that I, I, I love, uh, I love the fact that we have that one recorded and release it as an episode. Yeah. I loved that episode as well. I encourage anyone listening. If you're looking for a first episode, if you aren't already listening to Ryan, that's probably a good one to start with. That was a two part episode, wasn't it? No, it was a long, long one parter, but, uh, broke. It was broken in. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. And I, he also made me feel less crazy about the amount of notes that I take. I'm not quite as detailed as he is like writing it actually on the book and everything. Cause a lot of the books I, I take out of the library, but I was like, man, he, he takes notes. I take notes. So I <laughs> made me feel better about that too. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's intense. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What would you say, you know, through your research and the people that you've gotten to interview and your experiences, if you put that all together, what would you say is the number one most important attribute for a leader to have? Oh man. Um, putting it down to one is, is, is tough. You can give a it's couple of in, in, in passing. It's funny. I, I was sitting down having a, a, a brainstorming session with my dad while I was writing and wanted it to bounce ideas off him. And it just, he didn't even, this wasn't meant to be profound. It wasn't meant to be a moment, but we were talking about managers and leaders and, and what they need to do. And uh, I don't know exactly how it came up, but but my dad said, you know, it's a lot harder when you care 
when you truly deeply care about the people you serve and the people you lead, it's yeah. a lot harder. It takes a lot of work. And, and that he said it in passing, but I wrote, I wrote it down and I think about it a lot now. And, uh, there's a lot of attributes you need. There's a lot of things that, um, are important, right? You got to be curious. You got to work hard. You got to be a visionary. You got to, you got you to do all these things. You got to have high integrity, you know, big character. You got to have all those things, but, but the leaders who truly and deeply care about their people, that's really vital, I believe, for long-term sustained excellence in addition to some of the other you know, qualities that, that you need. But I, I just think it, it'd be good for us to take a step back and think about that, that it is, it is a lot harder when you care. It's meant to be hard. Anything worthwhile is hard. And so uh, I think that the great leaders that I've been fortunate enough to be around, I know that they really care about me. And so I, I try to do the same. Yeah, that's awesome. Such a special attribute for the, like you said, the truly great leaders to have that caring, that empathy. It's emotional intelligence. So important. We could probably talk about it forever. <laughs> but the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And as we finish up here, I want to, and you can't pick yourself, even though you're a dynamic leader, someone who leads on the field, off the field, in business, their community, and family. Can you think of somebody else in your life who you want to give a quick shout out today that is a dynamic leader to you? I, I wouldn't pick myself, man. That would sound pretty bad after all this. <laughs> um, pick, pick some, you want someone from the athletic world? It can be anyone. Just someone that comes to mind for you that uh, maybe you personally know them. Maybe you know them from you know, watching them from afar. But yeah, athletics or business or whoever you want to pick. Oh man, that's tough. Um, I've already mentioned a lot of people, uh, family members. So I'll, I'll go to an, another place from, from them. One leader that I think of that I've, I have talked about a lot, but, but her name is Kat Cole. Mm, um, yeah. Kat's a guest I had on earlier 78, very become a very popular episode for good reason. Cause she's, she's so brilliant. Kat seems to have that, that gene in her that she cares deeply about people. Um, has a great story uh, that yes. you, can, you can look up um, with with her career and her life. That that's she's built built something incredible from her without really handed she wasn't handed anything. But her, but her her thought process around that that productive achievers and great leaders have this equal balance of of courage and confidence and curiosity and humility. Uh, they got to be equally weighted on the left and the right side. Right on the left side, you got that that those people who are courageous. They stand up for what they believe in. They're confident. That confidence is built through a track record of, of success and positive momentum and great preparation. Then equally balanced on the other side is that they're highly curious and they're quite humble, They meaning that, that they're always seeking a better answer. They're always seeking knowledge to grow, to improve, to get better. And they're also humble, meaning they need other people. They're willing to ask for help. They also would, would never utter something like, well, I know all, I know, I know it all, or I have all the answers. They, 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 uh, inspire other people through that humility, uh, to help them, uh, their team that they're leading. So, uh, there's a lot of people, but Kat's the one that when you ask that question immediately jumped to mind. Awesome. Yeah. Kat's story is amazing. I remember coming upon it a few years ago and just to see the things that she's done and that she's doing now. I follow her on Twitter and everything. She's definitely very influential and would recommend following her and checking her out. If you're also looking for some additional 
guidance and advice. But Ryan, before we let you go, is there any final thoughts or any special projects you're working on that you want to tell us about today? No, I mean, if you want to hear more, uh, I've got hundreds of uh, conversations that are out there for free for anybody to, to check out on my podcast, The Learning Leader Show, and, and, and certainly more uh, more things to, to, to check out. I also uh, write an, an email every Monday called Mindful Monday. Mm-hmm. You can text learners to 44222 and, 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 and get that if you'd like as well. So I'd say that's where I put, put a lot of uh, thoughts as well as curate uh, other key learnings that I've picked up over the course of the week that uh, I share then with, with my audience. Awesome. And if there's any listeners that maybe want to get in touch with you or learn more about the podcast and what you do, where would you direct them? Uh, Twitter at Ryan Hawk one, two um, on there uh, and well, happy to engage. Yeah. Ryan Hawk 12 is, is where uh, I, I spend some time. It's a, Twitter's a great news aggregator for me. Um, following people who are smarter than me so I can learn from them in another, another, another place. So I'll, uh, I'm, I'm there most days. Awesome. Well, Ryan, enjoy this conversation so much. Really appreciate you coming on today. And I'm excited to see, you know, the continued success of the show and of everything that you're doing for us fellow learners. And can't thank you enough for your time today. Well, thank you, Con. I'm curious, man, of the ones that you've done, what, uh, are, are there some commonalities you found among among leaders who are sustaining excellence? What what are what are one or two of those you think? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, I think by far one of the biggest ones is the preparation, uh, which we obviously talked about at length. But I mean, from my personal research and from the people I've talked to, none of them have been successful just by chance like yeah there's luck thrown into it but it for me a lot of times it goes back to the john wooden like the lucky bounce theory where the more prepared you are the better chance you have at getting that lucky bounce right uh with everything so you know whether i had you know when when adam telefaro came on and he was telling his story you know he gets paralyzed and how are you gonna get back up from having a, a major major back injury, major neck injury that paralyzes your life. Well, you can't do anything unless you're prepared to make those next moves in life. Um, I think the, the other thing, and it's, it's funny that you brought it up too. And I've been honestly thinking about myself a lot. It's just the empathy part because I've been around leaders where it's not there and I just can't, I I can't connect with them. I, I can't believe in what they say. I can't, do the things that they ask me without feeling like, Hey, what, what am I actually doing this for? But the leaders that I've had, like my current boss, I still do, you know, much like you did. I'm, I'm still you know, working full time in HR and recruiting. And my current boss, she's awesome about giving me autonomy, giving me trust, asking me, you know, how's my day going? Like telling stories about her life and just opening up a little bit more. Whereas if I've, I've had leaders in the past who just, tell you what to do and kind of expect that you're going to do it and they don't want to open up at all. And I'm not saying you have to be an open book by any means, but to truly know to your point earlier that somebody cares about you and the work that you're doing, not just because it's their responsibility to do so, I think is such an important factor and such an important attribute for leaders to have. So those are two of the things that I've been focused on in my learning and trying to figure out 
how I can be better in those things as well, because I'm not perfect either. Like I try to be as prepared as I can, you know, like for example, for this conversation, but I can't be prepared for everything. Um, and I can still learn and I try to have empathy, but I know there are times where I'm thinking about other things and I'm not, you know, listening to people and I'm not being there for them when I you know, should be and everything. So it's just being able to audit yourself, I guess, and say that, you know, you're not a perfect person and that you can get better yourself. Um, if I had to throw a third thing in there, <laughs> I would, I would say that's probably one of the biggest things for leaders too, is just to admit that they don't know everything and that they're not the smartest person in the room. Even if that room is just you and your mind. Yeah. Love it, man. That's cool. Thanks again, Ryan. I, I really appreciate uh, the conversation and uh, it was great having you on. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Wow. Thanks, Ryan, so much for hopping on the pod. The conversation we had and your insight and the experiences that you've had are really incredible. And I hope you all learned a lot from this episode. I hope you go check out the Learning Leaders podcast, especially some of those episodes that we talked about in our episode here We are back next week with another guest. Stay tuned for that. Thanks to our sponsors, Sweat with Stods and Taylor Digital. Thanks, obviously, and again to you, the listeners. 